1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Eli is met by a prophet who tells him of God's coming judgment on his house, because he and his sons would not repent. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 2, verse 27. The title of the message is, A Heart to Serve. First Samuel
2: chapter 2. for Samuel chapter 2. Remember, originally, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were all one book together, but the problem is, is that, obviously, that was a very large scroll. And that's the way they did things back then. They had an ark where they kept the scrolls of the scripture in, and then they would go get the scroll, open it up to where they were going to teach. And so that's a very large scroll. So the writers of the Septuagint broke it up into two scrolls, the first and second part of Samuel. So my point in that is saying is that the writer of the books of Samuel is the same writer, and he had a theme that is for both of them. And yet they are divided here for us. And so as a result, we're going to look at two separate themes in a sense for each book, but they will still revolve around the heart. First Samuel deals with lessons that we can learn from the heart, and we saw the contrast between Eli's sons, who refused to listen to correction, and Samuel, who happily allowed the Lord to shape his life. And thus, Samuel grew stronger in his relationship with the Lord, while Eli's sons didn't even have a relationship with the Lord. Samuel had a heart that was willing to listen. Eli's sons didn't. Well, today we're going to see that trend continue as God now pronounces judgment upon Eli and his family for their evil. And in the process, Samuel now rises above them to become a spokesperson for the Lord. So as God is juxtaposing these two, Samuel and Eli and his family, you know, we're seeing these two contrasting examples side by side. We're going to learn another important reason Samuel was blessed. He had a heart that was happy to serve. So chapter 2, we're going to start with Eli and his family. Chapter 2, verse 27. It says, And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus says the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And the implication is, the answer is yes. And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And of course, again, the presumed answer is, well, yes. And did I give unto the house of your father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Well, Yes. Well, then, wherefore do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honor your sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people? I'm glad the Lord didn't call me to that ministry. This one's hard enough. But we see here that God sends, it says, a man of God, there came a man of God unto Eli with a message from the Lord. Now, God had set apart the tribe of Levi for the purpose of teaching the scriptures to his people, to speak into their lives. But many of our examples that we've looked at during the time of the period of Judges have had one common denominator, right? What's the common denominator? Almost all of them are Levites. They're all compromised. They're all not doing their job. And so when the Levites refused to be faithful to their duties, the Lord began to raise up prophets, For example, by the time we get to Elijah, the Levites have completely abandoned their duties. And so now we have a school of prophets. So I'm sure there are probably some faithful Levites here. Samuel's a faithful Levite. But really, we don't have any good examples in the time of Judges aside from him. So the Lord began to raise up these prophets. Now, the prophets had kind of a dual role. One was to teach the scriptures to the people. But they also had a role of preaching to those who were compromised. And so this man of God is one such prophet. We'll see this title quite a few times throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament if Jesus tarries. Now, the man of God comes to Eli and he just says to him, the Lord has a message for you, thus saith the Lord. And here it is. It first starts off with three questions. Did I plainly appear unto the house? The phrase plainly appear means to clearly reveal or to make known. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 27. It's something really interesting. When God called Moses to be his spokesperson, remember Moses said, I, I don't, I don't want to go. First thing he made the excuse, "Well, I don't talk very well. You know, I've been, I've been hanging around with these sheep for 20 years. My speech is bad. The Lord said, well, I will send Aaron then. I know he can talk, so I'll have him be your spokesperson. And so finally, you know, after Moses gives 18 more excuses, he says, okay, we'll do it. Well, look at Exodus 4.27, it says, the Lord actually appeared to Aaron to commission him to this role of being the spokesperson. He says, and the Lord, it says in Exodus 4.27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So, I mean, he appeared to him and he revealed this. And that's what this man of God is referencing here. Did I, the Lord, not clearly reveal Under the house of your father, now Eli's forefather is Aaron. When they were in Egypt, the Pharisee house, when they're still living in Egypt, didn't I reveal myself to him? Yeah, yeah, you did. Verse 28, did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? Well, he did. This came much later on when Israel was out of Egypt. To offer upon my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? Yeah, you did do that. Did I give unto the house of your father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Isn't that how I said I would take care of you? So basically, the man of God is saying, Did God do all this for your family, Eli? And the answer, of course, is an obvious yes, the Lord did. God chose Aaron and his descendants to be close to his side, no other family. He chose them to represent God to the people, that they would then bring the people's request to God. And God had provided for all of their needs in this service. God didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to appear to Aaron, he could have just had Moses bring the message. God didn't have to use Aaron at all. God didn't even have to meet his needs. But God did. The Lord did. I think sometimes, maybe not for you, but definitely for me, when I'm going through a trial or not happy with the way things are, I can very easily forget all the blessings God has given to me. Things he doesn't have to do for me. So do you realize all the blessings that God's given to you? Do you recognize that God didn't owe any of them to you? are you grateful for them? These gracious blessings should have motivated Eli and his sons to loving service to the Lord. But instead of looking at their service as a gift from God, a wonderful privilege, they looked at it as their right, that they were better than the rest of Israel. Look at verse 29. He says, wherefore, which means why, their behavior wasn't a logical response to God's grace. This is not the correct way to respond to God's grace. It makes no sense. Why would you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation? The word there, to kick, it means to despise or scorn someone to the point where you kick them when they're down. You just despise them so much that that's what you do. The Lord says, why do you look at the opportunity to serve my people through these offerings and sacrifices in the tabernacle? Why do you look at it as something to be kicked? Why do you despise it? Why do you scorn it? And then have you considered that I commanded you to do this in my house? This was the Lord's home, not theirs. This is like being invited to someone's home for dinner, acting like it's a trial to be there, and then opening the fridge to take all their food home when you leave. These offerings, whatever kind they were, that the people were bringing, they were physical representations of people's gifts to the Almighty God. They were physical representations of their repentant hearts or their desire to fellowship with the Lord. But Eli and his sons, they treated these interactions like they were a bother. And they treated their portion of those offerings as if God had held something back from them, like they deserved more. I tell you, I don't want ever my service to ever become like that. Do you treat your service to the Lord like it's a bother? Or are you grateful that you get to serve? Do you think God or other people owe you more? That you deserve greater recognition? Or are you just simply blessed that God graciously chose to use you at all? I wake up and I come here. And every time I walk in the doors, I pinch myself. I think, I get to do this? Like, God, you were nuts when you made the decision to let me have kids. And you entrust your people to me to love and serve them? It's a privilege. It's a blessing. Now, one of those attitudes that I mentioned earlier indicates a heart that loves to serve. But the other, the one that's looking for greater recognition or thinks that God owes you more or is not grateful and sees serving like a bother, well, that indicates a heart that loves to be served, not one that loves to serve. Which is yours? Do you love to serve or do you love to be served? I think everybody likes to be served, but do we look at serving the Lord that way? Now, I don't think Eli was kicking at the sacrifice and doing all these things. We've looked at this and most of that points to his sons. But God's problem with Eli was that he allowed his sons to do it. He was the high priest. He says, and why do you honor your sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chief. It's not like you're not eating the food, Eli. Yeah, they might be the ones taking it out of the pot and taking it before it even gets to me and burns on my altar, but you're still eating it, Eli. Why do you do that? Your sons have higher priority than me, Eli. You love them more than you love me. And that's a problem. Eli should have zealously contended for the Lord's honor by opposing his sons and getting the legal authorities involved for their blasphemous behavior. But he couldn't bear the idea of seeing them punished, let alone removing them from their positions. How would my kids eat? How would they survive? Where would they go from here? Well, I may not be anybody important, but I would humbly say, maybe you should have asked them why they thought it was okay to behave the way they were. Frequently when people come to me as a pastor or a leader here in the church and they're looking for assistance, one of the first questions I ask them, if this is not their home church, is I say, well, hey, how's your home church helping you out? I don't have a home church. Okay, well, most people have some family. I said, what about your family? And Again, I've done homeless ministry personally. I've done homeless ministry for over 25 years. I mean, it's just something I've always been a part of. I served down at the Orlando Rescue Mission once a month. And so I've got to interact with tons of people who've been in these situations. And you usually find, not always, but usually find a common denominator. They've burned a lot of bridges. They don't have a home church. And so one of the things I try to explain to them is I say, there's some choices that have been made that have put you in a position that makes it very difficult to move to a better position than the one you're in. So how do we fix that? Are there ways that you can repair the bridges you've burned? And you don't have to attend here, but you do need to find a home church because you need a support system. We all go through hard times. Now, that's not always received very well, but it needs to be said because at some point, I'm glad to help out in any way we can, but at some point we want to bring you to a place where you can help others. That's the goal. The goal is, is that we get through our crisis. I get through my crisis and people come alongside me and help me out. And then when I'm on my feet, I look around for people who are in crisis and help them out. That's the goal. And so I love my kids, but there may come a time, and I hope it never does with my kids. I don't anticipate it based on my relationship with them and their behavior. But there may come a time when I have to say, you're asking me to love you more than I love Jesus, and I won't do that. I won't do that. But Eli, he would not love the Lord more than them. And so instead, Eli will end up losing what he sought to preserve and so much more. Look at verse 30, wherefore, which means because you've done this, because you've loved them more than me, because you've honored them more than you've honored me, and because they have done wickedly in how they treat my service, This is my verdict. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. I did make a promise to your forefather. I said that they would receive the blessing of the priesthood. I said it and I meant it. But now the Lord says, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. In Exodus 29 verse 9, the Lord spoke to Aaron through Moses and said that he would give him this ministry forever. This would be their ministry, the priesthood. And then God confirmed this promise with an oath to Aaron's grandson Phinehas in Numbers 25 verses 12 and 13. This will always be your heritage, your inheritance in the nation of Israel. But the Lord says to Eli, he goes, I did make that promise and I'm not going to take it back. I meant it. But you have made an incorrect assumption." Regarding this promise, Eli, you have made an incorrect assumption and I will have no part in how you think it works. This promise works. I will have no part in that. Be it far from me. He says, I'm not breaking my promise to Aaron and Phineas and all their descendants, Eli. But I will not allow wicked men to remain in this position just because of their blood type. And so he says to them, for them that honor me, I will honor and those who despise me, the word there means to regard as having little value, they don't think a relationship with me is important at all. Well, then they shall be lightly esteemed. The phrase means to become smaller, to become of little account. Now, Eli should have known this, because right from the get-go, he already had an example from Scripture of priests who had been dealt with by the Lord. God judged two of Aaron's sons for not giving their calling, the respect it deserved, remember? all the way back in Leviticus chapter 10. And God struck them dead, right? So God said, yeah, I make a promise to you, but it doesn't mean I won't remove you if you're going to do wickedly. And I'll remove you any way I have to. So you have made an incorrect assumption regarding my promise, Eli, and I'm going to have no part of how you think it works. So now, Eli, you and your sons will also be judged. And God pronounces three judgments on Eli and his bloodline. Verse 31 is the first. Behold, the days come that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, that there shall not be an old man in your house. This is where George Lucas got all of his ideas for Star Wars. No, he doesn't mean his literal arm. The word there refers to one's strength. I'm going to cut off your strength And he explains later on what that means. There shall not be an old man in your house. Eli would be the last aged man in his family line. Now, that's a heavy judgment because it covers not just Eli and his sons, but it covers all of his living descendants. Everybody in the family who's alive right now, none of them will die old. You're the only one who'll die old, Eli. Now, that tells us, because God is always fair, that this was a wider reaching problem than just Eli and his two sons. This shows us that, their evil influence had spread to everyone else in the family. But it spread to everyone. And so God judges the entire family. He will be the last old man of his living descendants. Secondly, verse 32, he says, And you shall see an enemy in my habitation, and all the wealth which God shall give to Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house. He adds now the phrase, forever. The Beginning, let's start with that part. You shall see an enemy in my habitation. The word there see means you're going to, Look out, almost like something going on that you're disconnected from. You're going to look out and observe and see happen. So you're going to watch over time an enemy in my house. Now, I don't know why they translated it an enemy. The word means a state of distress or narrowness in my house, a state of distress in my house. And so in all the wealth of which God shall give Israel. So in all the land that God gave Israel, all the blessings that God put upon Israel, all of a sudden that's going to begin to be narrowed. And in particularly in relation to the tabernacle, God's dwelling place. So instead of the blessings that come from seeing God's people grow spiritually, Eli will watch the state of worship, watch the state of spirituality in Israel become worse and worse and worse. So much so that it will touch even God's very house, the tabernacle. Now, I believe that this is also a prediction of the Philistines' capture of the Ark of the Covenant and how they destroy Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was located. We will see that very shortly in 1 Samuel. So I do believe that is a prediction of that. But now we come to this comment at the end of the verse where it says, there won't be anyone who lives to an old age of your descendants forever. Ever, ever, ever. I mean, that's an ominous word. That's not a like word. Forever. This judgment of young deaths will affect even those who haven't been born yet. Now, the first part we can get, but here we go and we go, wait a second, Lord, that doesn't seem fair to judge those who haven't even done anything wrong yet. How can God be fair and do this? Well, God is fair and God is also merciful. Merciful. And I am fully convinced that if one of Eli's descendants decided to walk faithfully with the Lord, that they would not experience this judgment. The reason I can say that is because scripture tells us that exact thing. In Ezekiel chapter 18, I want to read just verses 20 through 23 right now. This whole chapter, God's dealing with the accusations that Ezekiel keeps hearing when he talks to people about the Lord. And they just give him God's not fair. God's not fair. And so the Lord addresses this all throughout the chapter but I just want to look at one section where he kind of sums up a thought. And it's this, Ezekiel 18, 20 through 23. God says through Ezekiel to the people, the soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But, if the wicked will turn from all of his sins that he has committed and keep my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, well, then he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, shall he live? For have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord? The answer, of course, is no. And not that he should return from his ways and live? That, the answer to that one's yes. That's what pleases me. I'm not sitting up in heaven and going, oh, I get to grind out another one. The Lord, he delights not in judging the wicked or punishing the wicked. He has no pleasure that the wicked dies. He has pleasure when a wicked person turns from his wicked ways and finds life. So I have every confidence that if one of Eli's descendants were to repent of this family behavior that was going on and decide to walk with the Lord, that they wouldn't experience this judgment. But the Lord, knowing what their response would be, says this is how it's going to be. Now, despite this judgment, Eli's descendants will still serve as priests. But verse 33, here's the third judgment. And the man of yours, whom I shall not cut off from my altar, they shall be to consume your eyes and to grieve your heart. And all the increase of your house shall die in the flower of their age. In other words, all of Eli's descendants will serve during a time in Israel of spiritual deterioration. None of them will know the joy of serving in the tabernacle. Yeah, they'll still be priests, but the tabernacle won't be in use because the Ark of the Covenant won't be there. It won't be able to be used. So all of the things that they took advantage of and, and thought was their right and scorned it and despised it and thought God was holding out them and they deserved more, yeah, you won't get any of it now. You won't experience any of those things now. None of your descendants will. And you know what? The Ark of the Covenant wasn't returned to the tabernacle until the midpoint of David's reign. And after David died, Eli's descendant was removed from the priesthood. And their place was taken by a different line through Aaron, not from Eli's line. Turn to First Kings chapter 2 with me. And I'm not doing this just to repeat what I just said, but there's an end Part here that I think is crucial to understand. 1 Kings two, verses twenty six and twenty seven. Now, Abiathar was Eli's descendant. He was kind of co high priest with Zadok, who was another descendant of Aaron, but not from the line of Eli. And the problem is, is when Abiathar sided with Adonijah when he, David was dying, and, and David named Solomon to be his successor, Adonijah proclaimed himself king, and Abiathar sided with Adonijah, which was basically treason against David. And so, here's what happens when Solomon becomes king. First Kings chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. And unto Abiathar the priest said to the, to the king, get thee to Ariathoth, unto your own fields. Oh, we see things hadn't changed, right? Levites aren't supposed to have fields. For you are worthy of death, but I will not at this time put you to death because you bear the ark of the Lord before David, my father. When the ark came back, you were loyal to David, my father. And because you have been afflicted in all wherewith, my father was afflicted. Abiathar was the sole survivor when Saul slaughtered all the priests in Nob. So Solomon thrust out Abiathar from being priest unto the Lord, and here it is that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Isn't that interesting? This is years later, but God predicted, your descendants won't get to serve in the joys of a tabernacle or the temple that would soon be built by Solomon. Nope. Their eyes will consume and they'll grieve and this will be a time of sadness when they'll be serving as priests. And that's what it was for Eli and his descendants.